you know, when you first start out, it's so daunting because you feel anonymous. And I didn't really know how to start. Hi, I'm Kaval Obroy and this is Design This Way. On today's episode, I have with me Karan Singh. And this episode was recorded during Curious Design Yatra 2018 in Goa. Karan is an Australian visual artist and illustrator. He is originally from Sydney, but now he is living and working in Amsterdam. His work is bold and vibrant and pretty much everyone in graphic design industry is familiar with his work by now. He creates a playful interpretation of minimalism, focusing on depth and dimension, and he does that using hypnotizing patterns and repetition. He is very much inspired by the op art movement, and his art lives in many mediums, from print to sculpture to music videos and augmented reality. His client list includes Instagram, IBM, Apple, Airbnb, Nike and many other influential names. On this episode, Karan talks to us about his work and his life. He shares his thoughts behind uh, his client projects and his personal projects. We talk about his struggles and his triumphs. Today's episode has been designed this way. Now I present Karan Singh. Sashrikal Karan, welcome to the podcast. Sashrikal, can you please introduce me forever now? Because that was fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll I'll make a longer introduction (laughs) now on this. And that's how I'll begin. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so uh, I learned that as a kid, you watched TV show Art Attack. Yes. And you were fascinated with that show and you wanted to recreate whatever you saw on that. Mm. And that became kind of obsession. Yeah, I think it was it was always a short burst of interest because um, because I have a tendency to lose interest very quickly. I'm very impatient. But uh-huh. Art Attack is a is is was perfect for me because it's a bite sized like twenty minute show, right. and I'm talking about the older one, which is hosted by a, a like a, a really talented guy named uh, Ni- Nigel Buchanan, I believe. Neil or Nigel? I'm so sorry if I got that I wrong. I think it's Neil. Neil Buchanan. Yeah, that's what I remember. That's that's good. I'm glad you hear correctly because uh, yeah, it was. I it might was, be wrong, by the way. So that's okay. That's okay. It's yeah. all about making mistakes. That's fine. <laughs> that's what he said, right? <laughs> right. No, well, that's true. He's. I think. I think that was what. What was really, really sweet is not just the the show because it. You know, the show that really encouraged, not just kids but also adults to yeah. be creative. But it was also his like incredibly calm delivery as well, where he made it clear that uh, you know if it wasn't perfect, that's okay. You made it okay to make mistakes. It, you didn't have to be so precious about it, yeah. and that was actually what makes it so much more inviting he's almost like are you familiar with like um who's the 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 painter the american painter ross i remember bob ross bob Bob ross Ross, exactly he's and it's just like he's just so soothing and and it makes you want to engage and interact and um i just i don't know what it was it was you know i used to watch it in australia and i remember watching it even before i moved to australia um and 
I, all I remember thinking was, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. He really inspired me to want to be creative. And I don't know, it was such an incredible show. I mean, it was only, it was only 20 minutes long. I wished, I wished it was longer. And they'd always like sandwich it in between like cartoons as well. It's like right. a, it's like a filler. But yeah, God, it was such a good show. And I know that they... And the guy has so much energy, right? Like, so much yeah. energy, but also just so multi-talented. Right, right. But also, like I was, you know, I was, I was, I wanted, I really wanted to talk about him in my, in my talk uh, earlier today. But unfortunately, I just didn't have enough time. But um, I can't imagine just how many people he must have inspired. Right. Just right, by right. having this show where he just kind of just facilitates just these really simple tasks for people but he just gets you know especially kids thinking in a really creative way and do you remember something that you've created after i do this there's one thing that i made and god i i don't even know how to describe it um it was uh i think it was like almost this like shuttered kind of design i I don't even know how to describe it properly was it like uh, some of the materials you put together as a piece of art or i think it was like you make you make a typography Mm-hmm. And then you kind of cut lines in it. So it looks like there's kind of a shutter kind of effect over typography. So it's almost like lines over Typography type. as a kid. I know, right? <laughs> what a, yeah, <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> but I, no, I think I remember, I remember that experience quite specifically because I think it was a weekend. I watched it on the weekend. I remember my dad also being like on the couch and he right. was watching it. And then I think he probably noticed me like disappeared in my room for about... <laughs> 30 minutes and and I think the, the you know like at the start of every exercise um, the host explains like the the things that you need right, to right, work right. and he's like okay well you need like a piece of A4 paper and you need this kind of glue and right. they're not exactly complicated ingredients right, but for right. me and kind of you know as a testament to my impatience uh, like instead of an A4 paper I would I would source like post-it notes instead <laughs> and I would just work with what I had right, right, and I right. just but I think it was just it wasn't necessarily like I you know in the joy retros- of creation it exactly wasn't, it wasn't like a task or anything in retrospect it was like never mind. about the finished result even though at the time I was like man this is terrible I know <laughs> this looks nothing like his um I wonder why. I wonder if it's because I used post-its instead of uh, A4 paper. And I heard your mom used to create some kind of creative things. Wow, you've really done your research. Uh, uh, it's, it's funny, actually. So my mom kind of has uh, a background in, and an interest in, in you know, fine art. She, you know, she right. loves you know, the Renaissance and, and, right, and right. you know, on the flip side, I'm <laughs> creating uh, these like bastardized versions of, uh, <laughs> of God knows what. But... Uh, um, yeah, she's always really had this this interest, and um, only recently, my mom actually came to uh, travel to Amsterdam, and then we went and traveled for like a month, and we went through Portugal yeah, and Spain. We went to a lot of galleries out there. We we went to so many galleries, but I think the the kind of most profound thing that happened on that trip was that she told me that she used to work at a graphic design agency. What? And really? I'm, I'm 31 years old, and I've been you know I've been working as a designer for at least the past 10 years right, and at right. no point did she say oh hey by the way did you know that i used to work at a design agency <laughs> it, it, it was just like such a throwaway comment and i think to be honest it actually required getting her you know it was after a few glasses of wine that she was like oh yeah did right. you know that you know i used well, to do work? you think she is uh, she, she she doesn't doesn't want to remember that time or something not like at all that? no i think that i think that you know that's I, i'd like to think that that's that Punjabi like modesty kind of you <laughs> yeah, don't really yeah. talk about you know you know 
um, it's that there's like fa- that phrase that my dad taught me actually, which is that you know manme simran karya, which is like the manme simran yeah kariya. yeah, which um, is like you know you don't really show things off, you yeah, keep things true. in your heart, and you you don't necessarily brag. So and here I am bragging about my mom. <laughs> so where's um, all that manme simran karya? Yeah, manme simran karya. I'm not doing that at all. Um, but uh, so my dad is he's a you know, he's a really interesting guy. And, you know, he also came to Amsterdam recently. And, you know, this only happens when you, you know, you turn a certain age and your parents feel like, oh, they're adults now. We can right, finally right. be honest with them and tell them all the things that we got up to when we were kids. Right, right. And you know, he told me, like, crazy stories. Like, he used to, like, transport cars. Like, he used to drive Mercedes-Benz cars from, wow. uh, like, Stuttgart to Tehran. Wow. And, <laughs> like, like, transporting cars. And uh, And I was like why didn't you tell me this earlier? And he said, uh, you never asked. And I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dad, I was like, I said, I said, Dad, that's a really specific question to ask. But, right. but I mean, you know, he's had a really, really interesting background. But, you know, specifically w- what resonates with me about my dad so much is he's always had a project going. And um, okay. my dad's like background is in sales. You know, he's got his, uh, is it MB- MBA? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. And um so yeah, for you know, for the longest time, he's always just been a salesman and a sales manager, and um, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that really resonates with me the most is my parents worked really, really hard for us to move to Australia, and uh-huh. and and I think only you know you were born in Delhi. I was born in Delhi, and then I moved to uh, Oman. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's pretty much straight away. I never really lived in India, and. Um, and, you know, when I was around 10, that was when we decided, or rather my family, just my parents decided that, you know, we should try and look elsewhere, you know, for the, for the guys and, and for my brother and me, and, and we should try and relocate. And at the time, my, my, my mum's sister was living in, in Sydney. So mm-hmm. we moved to Australia just wow. like, you know, right now, you know, the, the, my, most of my, my mum's side of the family lives in Australia. So... Uh, it is home, you know, it feels like it's, it's, um, doesn't really feel like I'm, you know, away from a home country or missing out on a culture because I've got that right. kind of really great um, family love, you know, from, from that side of the family. So, yeah, I think Australia is like, and I think that's one of the things I really love Australia is because it's, um, you know, really multicultural. Right. Um, and I think it allows for that. So, and at one point, I know that you you had no clue what you wanted to do with your life. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do before. I think I'd established my kind of like creative mind. I I knew I wanted to. I I didn't even know I wanted to be creative, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. I I knew that. Um, I I knew that I until your high school, you hadn't figured that out. I no, I didn't have a clue until I think maybe. Uh, year 11 or, or 12, you know, right. quite late. I, you know, in high school, I did uh, legal studies for like, you know, from year nine to year 12. And I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved law. I loved, you know, kind of the interactions and the whole kind of um, process of kind of, you know, that whole side of it. And that always fascinated me. But I think that I don't think I necessarily had the, Aside from the grades, I probably never had the grades for that. But in addition, I don't think that it would have kept my interest for as much. And it, and I think that, you know, even at the time, I remember, you know, being in year nine or year 10 and my, my family would say, what do you want to do with your life? 
And I had said, oh, I think I want to like go into law. And they'd be like, good boy. But <laughs> I think, you know, that was around the time that, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine w- would give me like, uh, he gave me a pirated copy of Flash, a Macromedia Flash. And, you know, for the longest time, I had this like aversion to drawing. Um, I loved drawing. I, like I said, I loved Art Attack, but I was horrible at executing things mm-hmm. with my hands. I felt like I, I just didn't have the comprehension or even the, just the patience in, to, to be able to execute something with my hands. And um, I think, you know, the, the computer just changed that so dramatically for me. So when um, I got this copy of Flash, it was like I had this like second chance at being able to draw again. Not that Flash is actually made to draw in. Yeah, it's yeah, actually an animation but, program. But at least, like, uh, I even I remember for the first graphic tablet I got. Yeah. My dad got me then. That was a Quantum Leap. Wow. And yeah. uh, at that time, you know, like the first time I could I could feel that maybe there's some scope in this what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I I completely like. I mean, how how did that change your interaction with? So I the deal is I I feel that I always had this taste for good graphics mm. I didn't draw so uh, when I when I got that tablet that time I got the tools to make it right you mm. along with that you get Photoshop or something like that or illustrator so you can now experiment with it something mm. like that so that it's that gave changer. me a kind of uh, yeah. freedom that you know I, I don't have to be so good at drawing maybe I can compose with another instrument altogether. right that. I what totally like that I, I, I completely associate with that because I only I only uh, realized that Adobe Illustrator even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until like my first year of university. Oh, and, and I was got Flash before, and then I've been using Flash until I graduated. I, I think um, uh, in order to get into my degree of like design computing, I, I shared all of my self-initiated projects, which are all made in Flash. So, mm-hmm. but when do you decide you want to apply for a design degree? And that too, you have an interesting design degree, which oh. is design computing yeah it's not exactly like it's it was you know in retrospect it was actually probably a really interesting degree but probably not right for me i think um uh if it were really up to me and if i had had the grades i probably would have chosen another degree which is uh you know something at maybe the college of fine arts at the university of new south wales or um visual communication at the university of technology in sydney Mm -hmm. but that's that I, I don't think I would trade it though for anything because, um, you know, in the absence of that, I was also exposed to all of this 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 kind of new wave of technology. Um, I, you know, the degree that I did at the University of Sydney, this design computing degree, um, they would teach us things like interaction design and 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 spatial kind of design. Uh, but then we'd have electives like photography and right, object right. design and um, you know, printmaking, but then there was also a really healthy, if not heavy dose of code. And you um, studied code. in Sweden, right? Well, yeah. So that was the last year of my degree. But, okay. But, um, but yeah, I guess up until that point, you know, I had to deal with a lot of code and I, I don't do code. I'm, I just, I'm not built for code. And I think... Have you dabbled in that? I have. I think I had to do it for my assignments in order what to pass. Kind of, like... Uh, I mean, you mean the code for web design, or you mean uh, creative coding? Uh, so it was it was um, a lot to do with JavaScript. We work with an application called Processing. It is an incredible program that I wish I how do I phrase this properly? 
I wish that I was better at because I because then that means that you know I would have been better at code. But I'm not, and I think that I think I I fairly quickly realized that I don't have the patience to learn code. So <laughs> whenever we do group assignments, um, you know, uh, one of my friends who's you know since become one of my best friends, I, I, we would uh, delegate. And so there was like one element which is like you know the development side, and right. the other element was which is the visual side. Right. And we both knew our roles, you know, mm -hmm. by the end of by the end of the project, and and that was really great. I think um, it allowed me to express that creativity in a certain way, even though that wasn't necessarily the premise of that degree. But when you were in college, what kind of career were you envisioning for yourself? I don't know. I I hadn't. I hadn't. This is the thing. This is like what's most terrifying is I, I realized now I was probably ch like playing a really dangerous game of chicken with my life where I was I was just going I don't really know what this is going to lead to and I you know what if it wasn't for illustration I do not know what I would be doing right now and I really like feel like I came into my uh my what is now my career at like the last minute you know it was only until I had returned from Sweden like my last year of my degree that was when I got my first illustration commission and I said okay maybe maybe this is actually a job that I could do yeah you got uh, a you, you got a offer from uh, computer arts magazine oh yeah computer arts. it was actually such an incredible moment for me because computer arts magazine um, was such an important publication to me at the time because I would get it every month and right, it would be right. full of these designers and artists and illustrators that I had looked up to and it was full of tutorials and articles about the industry um, but more specifically about creating art with a computer and um, to be commissioned by the publication that was inspiring you and fueling you was such a big deal to me and it, it was it was a dream job and it was my first Wow. official illustration commission and i i never forget that i think it's such a it was such a but what had you created in that uh i think the article was about a uh, nine to five design i think i think that's what it was and i think um god i don't rem really remember the content of the article but i remember it was like a kind of arrangement of like uh creative tools like brushes and computers and pencils and but it was kind of arranged in like this really haphazard way on on a like really like a, a textured paper background. <laughs> but I think one thing that has you know thinking about this now that has prevailed is it was really colorful. Yeah, it was really yeah. bright and colorful, and that's one thing that I think has kind of been a stalemate throughout my work is my infatuation with color. If anything, right. I probably reduced the kind of amount of colors I've used. But that was, I guess, the most kind of memorable aspect of it um so i went to sweden for a year and that's where i met like my, my fiance yeah Ash. she's here she's here by the Just way say, say hello hi everyone <laughs> 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 um so we met uh in sweden and 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 uh right as i arrived in sweden for this year-long uh exchange uh adventure uh that's when i got this first commission and during the course of the year i actually got I think maybe two or three more commissions from Computer Arts Magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and that was uh, really, really encouraging because, like I said, I didn't really know my trajectory. I didn't know 
I wasn't, I didn't know that an illustrator was an occupation. I didn't understand the advertising uh, like kind the, of industry. This is still a mystery to me that how do you, you get gigs and how do you keep getting more gigs for illustration? I, to be honest, at the time I had no idea. I think I just like was, I was taking kind of tips from other designers who had made it at the time. I think one designer in particular was uh, Chuck Anderson, uh, whose kind of moniker was No Pattern. And I think his like his like famous trick that he used to do was um, he would go through the go to the newsagent and look through all these like magazines that he wanted to create print like uh, illustrations for, and would look at the the domain name of the of the editor and try and guess the email address. Ah. And so and so he would, or at least this is this is kind of this, the famous story. So he would try and guess the combination. So for example. Uh, John Smith, so it would be j.smith at <laughs> gmail.com or john.smith. So and he would send out, you know, he and I think he would say that, you know, he would send out uh, nine emails and eight would bounce back, but one would go through. Have you tried that? I tried. Um, <laughs> it never really worked for me. <laughs> I just spent so much time in a news agent looking like it must have looked so strange because I was writing down all these email addresses um, going, this is going to work. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think um, finding work has always been kind of this, or at least uh, you know, when I first started, it was always this dark art because nobody knew who I was, nobody knew what I was making, nobody like it was you. You're you know, when you first start out, it's so daunting because you feel anonymous, uh. um, and I didn't really know how to start. So when I returned from Sydney, oh, sorry, when I returned from Sweden, hashtag relatable. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> the previous one that you, when you start, uh, you're anonymous, right? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Hashtag relatable. Right. Gets, when I you first start, you're anonymous. A lot of listeners feel relatable. Absolutely. Because, I think that that just comes with, you know, that's the nature of it. You have to start somewhere. And unfortunately, that's, you just have to kind of do your time for a little <laughs> bit and you have to persevere at it. Um, but for me, it wasn't necessarily a case of, Oh, I can be a freelance illustrator. I never really believed that I could do that. I felt like, who's going to hire me at a studio to do this? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I returned from Sweden, I had this design computing degree, which mm. I don't really feel like I was qualified. You know, I'm not really necessarily very good with code. Mm. And I, or more importantly, I didn't really enjoy it. Sure, I like, you know, I, I managed to, you know, get the degree and so on, but... Um, I knew that I wanted to be creative in an illustrative sense, but I didn't right. know how that worked or where to apply or who the studios were or right. what. Like I didn't, I think one, you know, at the time, thinking back, there were a few major hurdles that really struck me. One was I didn't know how to use InDesign. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't apply at a design studio because I can't put on, like I can't show, like I can't you use can InDesign. You can editorial if you don't know right you can't then, work in print design if you don't know how to use InDesign right it's it's um, kind of part of the toolkit that you need um, so it was that and also you know I you know I had returned from being away for a year and was so daunted by the fact that I was a self-taught illustrator who spent you know my <laughs> evenings learning how to draw just because it was a hobby and right. all of a sudden I had returned back to Australia and I was competing with 
graduates fresh out of school who yeah. were qualified graphic designers. Right, right. And so why would anybody give me the time of day? Right. Why, I mean, I had every reason to be laughed out of, of a studio. Um, if I remember accurately, my, um, my business cards were actually handwritten, hand-drawn, handwritten. Not the most professional approach when you're going to uh, a job interview and um, I don't actually even have the nicest handwriting either. So, um, but I think that I think that the the kind of the the thing that sticks out is I wanted to try. It didn't stop me from trying. Um, I was kind of brazen and bold, and maybe perhaps a little bit um, I don't know willing to be rejected because I was that desperate. I think I you know we'd, I'd come back from Sweden and I'd met Ash and um, you know. She lives, uh, I was living in Sydney and she was uh, in Bendigo. So the kind of mutual agreed upon city was Melbourne. <laughs> so all of a sudden I'm looking for a job in a city that I've barely visited um, just to be closer to a girl who I've known for six Aww. months. And it was, it was like, it was actually a really stressful experience. But, you know, thankfully like a, a studio took a chance on me and they loved me. The work that I made, it was you know, all self-initiated work. There was no commercial work in my portfolio. So the kind of style that you have developed during that time? No, no. The style that I had back then was far more, uh, I'd say, detailed. Um, I think I still had a, like an infatuation with geometry and you know, kind of primitive shapes and so on. But there was far more um, detail. I think at the time... I would I would equate um, time spent on an artwork to the value of the artwork. I feel like they were directly related, and I think that that happened because you know talking about mm -hmm. this like incubator of like an art collective that I was a part of, Depthcore, which is you know such a was such a great community for me. Um, but I think that you know the style that I grew up around uh, with them was heavily detailed, lots of lots and lots of detail, lots of like emphasis on realism mm -hmm. and you know I was trying to emulate that I was trying to emulate the depth core style when I really should have been trying to be more conscious about what it was that I wanted to make right but regardless of that you know I still somehow managed to create work that was somehow a compromise between my wants and what I thought was cool and you both worked at the same agency at that time. No, but we we both moved uh, we both moved to Melbourne at the same time. Um, I worked at I, I got a job at a, a studio called Cube Construct, which was a um, a fantastic like design and motion studio, and they were kind of like making such incredible work, and and I was so blown away because I like even to this day I I think that. I still can't believe that happened. It's like, you know, the most kind of illustrious studio in a city saying, hello, we'd like to fly you down for an interview. Um, and you're, you know, half asleep on the phone at your parents' house <laughs> in your bedroom that you grew up in going, okay. Um, but no, uh, Ash, you know, did more uh, print work. And, and in a way, she, um, we, we kind of switched because, you know, Ash, Ash grew up in, um, in Bendigo and, her degree was far more to do with print design and my degree is far more to do with interaction design. Right. And we almost like high-fived and switched because I went more into print and her first job, oh sorry, her first job in Melbourne was, um, you know, as a, as a digital designer, a junior digital designer working on websites. 
Um, but I think the kind of greatest thing about that whole experience is being with someone else who's a creative and who's also a designer. It, 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 it's fantastic because um, they understand so much more, you know. They understand the intricacies of not just the process, but also the, the kind of the peaks and troughs that come with being a creative, whether it's kind of, um, you know, creative block or um, she's more likely to keep me on it than she'll tell me if something's shit, you know. And I, <laughs> that. And I appreciate that. That's I think honesty, that very important. It's, it's unfiltered, even though I think she's, she's so sweet and she'll, she's, she'll never tell me she hates something of mine just because I, sometimes sense. I don't believe her. And I'm like, are you just saying, uh, are you just saying this? <laughs> would you say this to someone else but um but yeah i think it's it's been really really nice i think for both of us to be able to bounce ideas off each other and and you know actually you know have not just you know a loving relationship but also a, a creative relationship a creatively co a collaborative relationship and and that's been really really rewarding amazing yeah and also, uh, you have a really strong social media presence now. Right. When did you start with that? So, uh, it started really, I mean, in terms of from an art perspective, it actually first started with Tumblr. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the Daily Quickies project that I started in 2010, which is basically this project that I started where I wanted to make something for myself every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I'd set aside an hour a day just to make something for myself for a year um and were there any constraints that you put on yeah yourself? yeah it was a, a time constraint so i'd only have an hour i would only be able to work in um three colors or, okay. or rather two colors you know so black. and there were, were there like any tools that you decided that yeah you strictly within adobe illustrator and um and yeah i kind of progressed with that for a year and i'd post them on tumblr as a way of kind of sharing it. They never really got much attention to be, you know, to be honest, but it was just a way of me saying, okay, I've made this, it's finished, let's post it and move on. I've seen that project and uh, I feel that it has a lot of impact in the kind of work you do now. Right. I think so. That, that project came at a really significant time for me because I had just been kind of diagnosed with cancer and I, I kind of realized that um, I should, you know, I think that... Uh, Obviously, getting sick has a very profound effect because I, I think that I think that you know when you're sick, um, everything else that you kind of thought was important kind of fades away. And it was almost as if it was like like my work started to parallel what was happening in my life. So while I started to strip my life away to what was the kind of most important thing at the time, um, my work reflected that and you know, where I was describing the work that I used to make when I was, you know, still active in depth core, where it was you know, really detailed and complex. The daily quickies were simple and uh, punny and, uh, yeah, really creatively satisfying because I actually tapped into the work that I wanted to make that was work that was, excuse me, conceptually strong um, or at least conceptually interesting. Sometimes they sucked. But I think uh -huh. that just comes with the territory of having to make something every single day. Right. But right. it was a really rewarding project because I, I totally agree. It helped define my style because I, I realized that I actually prefer simpler work um, and simple, like you know, conveying an idea in a simpler way as opposed to, um, you know, 
laboring over a work over days, weeks, months. Do you want to talk more about that phase of your life? Sure. I'm completely comfortable with it. Yeah. What kind of cancer you got diagnosed with? So I had uh, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a it's a it's a kind of basically inflammation of your lymph nodes. Oh, okay. And so basically, the lymph nodes are the the right. things that generate your your white blood cells, so that your your immunity basically. Right, right, right. And I think I was sick for about a year until I was properly diagnosed. So I was pretty late in the game. It was like stage four Whoa. of four stages. So it's like. It was like, you know, again, playing chicken with, uh, with uh, okay, I guess, a different, it was a different kind of game. And it was a, it was a really kind of uh, profound, affecting um, experience, not just for me, but obviously, you know, for my family and my friends, because um, nobody really accounts for anything like that happening. You know, you, you plan for buying a house and settling down and, and meeting someone and and you know hopefully having kids and these are you know it feels like a game plan but but you know things like this just crop up and 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 it did and it was uh it was actually it was actually um i, I don't know I, this it sounds really morbid but in retrospect it was actually something that i probably really needed at that time i, I think i was also in a pretty bad place um, mentally, because I probably wasn't feeling as creatively satisfied as I probably should have been. And I think that, in a way, it got me out of a, a really terrible situation, and I was able to, you know, move back in with my parents and recalibrate and went through chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And I think through that experience, I became far more in tune with myself, my habits, my tendencies, what's more important to me, what are my strengths, what's my weakness, um, and, um, for lack of a better a, a, a way of expressing it, I became selfish. I became selfish about what I wanted to do because I think that the kind of fragility of life became like painfully apparent and that just had such a profound impact. You know, I think that it made, I don't know if you're impatient like me. I am. Okay. I am. Because I then impatient. I think, I think after that I became so much more comfortable with being impatient. Mm -hmm. and um, then you accept what you are exactly you begin to accept uh, everything about yourself not just your strengths but your weaknesses you say exactly and and I think one of the most kind of significant things that came from that experience is um, working out how to turn your weaknesses into your strengths and, and try and use them to your benefit and that was that was this this you know, it wasn't necessarily an epiphany, it was more of a slow burn because, you know, at the time you're just trying to get better. But over the years you begin to realize, oh, okay, well, that was actually quite a dramatic experience. And, and, um, and, and yeah, I think that, um, yeah, it just has such a like bizarre kind of profound effect. And I think, you know, at the time I was, I was 21, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'd barely... I'd barely like dip my toes into you know professional life and uh, and life decides to and do that. life has other plans you know yeah. you can't you can't predict anything like that but um, but I think like I said you know it it sounds morbid but it was one of the most one of the best things to happen in a in a really terrifying way because um, 
it kind of recalibrates you. you you realign yourself with who you actually are and as a result you know um i stopped making work that i thought i was supposed to make and started making work that i actually wanted to make what um, kind of work was that well i think you know because i had started to completely strip my life back to whatever was most important my my work and you know the quickies paralleled with that just as mm. much um and I think I came to this realization that, um, and this was like kind of, um, yep. let me interject and say that as a result of the daily quickies, you know, I, I, I managed to somehow land this dream job uh, yeah. in New York at a mm -hmm. studio called Vault 49. They were like one of like two or three places in the world that I'd actually wanted to work at, um, uh -huh. you know, after my time at Cube Construct. Um, and they advertised for the position of designer on Twitter. Uh -huh. And I thought, you know, I, th I think at the time I was freelancing and I was content enough and I was, I'd found my groove, but it was, you know, provocative and intriguing enough for me to want to engage with, with, you know, this. And I applied and I said, well, you know what, the worst thing that can happen is they'll say no. And, you know, every kind of like we had a few rounds of like interviews, if I remember accurately, and I just kept getting kind of shortlisted and shortlisted. Um, and I think I'd, I'd just been shortlisted too many times to not to not not care about it, because by then I was so invested and I wanted it so bad. And um and I got it and they offered it to me. And, and I remember, you know, the, the creative directors saying um, that, you know, one of the things that kind of tipped the scales in my favor was the daily quickies. It was, right. it was this, this kind of self-initiated daily project where I was a little bit more self-indulgent about my habits and my tendencies. Um, and, you know, it, I think that maybe the daily quickies actually reflected more of me than any of my other work. Uh, reflected me at the time and how was it going to new york and like that ex in new york i mean is a dream place for pretty much every designer and creative i have met how was it oh uh, it was exactly how you describe um <laughs> and i remember hanging up the phone with you know the guys at vault and um and you know they offered me the job and they said you know we'd like you to start in uh god what did they say i think it was something like a month or two and I was just looking at the calendar going oh my god I'm gonna be in New York City in <laughs> a month and a half or whatever it was right it was incredible because uh, I think it wasn't you know the city in itself is just this kind of living organism that's that's yeah, just it pulls you in and it's crazy. and it's and it'll it'll I think when we first moved there we kind of went through that phase where New York City chews you up spits you out, you know, treats you like shit until you decide to give up on it and it turns around and gives you a hug and says, uh. you're okay now. And um, so, like, you know, there are certain rites of passage about moving to New York. One of them is is um, finding an apartment. Um, oh, don't even talk about that. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I know, like, a few of my friends who have shifted and everybody's staying in the suburbs and yeah. then they have to travel every day. Right. So I think that, you know, we were confronted with just a completely different world and it was incredible for us. You know, we, you know, I should also say that at the same time, you know, I was getting shortlisted and shortlisted and shortlisted with Vault. And at the same time, 
Ash's work was saying, hey, actually, we're considering opening an office in New York. And, you know, would you like to be put forward for the position? So, I don't know, it was just this kind of incredibly, like, it was just this incredible, um, I don't know, it was just fate almost in a way. It was like, you know, I, you know, since living in New York, you know, a lot of people would come over and ask the question, how did you move to New York? How did you get here? And uh, for a lot of people, especially in a couple, they have to come one at a time. You know, one, one, part of, one partner gets the, a role and then the other one has to wait and kind of, you know, do their interviews and finally get through. We flew over to New York on the same flight. We both had jobs starting on Monday. It was... It was meant to be. It was insane. It was unheard of. It was... What do you think? Ridiculous. And just very lucky. It felt like fate <clears throat> Um, yeah, it was uh, completely surreal, completely bizarre. That's crazy. Um, and I think, you know, it's a testament to Ash as well. She'd never been in New York City before, and all of a sudden she was moving there. Um, so it was incredible. I think we, we, we became a part of the city fairly quickly. It was, I, I, I think we both loved being there. It was like being in the center of the world and... And and I think to a to a large extent we grew up a lot there, you know. Um, yeah, it really affected us in a big way. And us, I think also from a professional standpoint, I learned so much about the industry from not just being there, but also working with uh, you know a really talented team of designers and people who'd been in the industry far longer than me, and people who taught me so many things, and and people who've you know since become you know more than just colleagues they're, they're friends now and and for that reason it was a, it was actually a, a really fantastic experience and ultimately all the ma- ultimately made it all harder to eventually leave which i think eventually um i think that you know we would have had to do um because we're just uh, impatient like that <laughs> <laughs> is it that time when you moved to amsterdam no, no. So we were in New York for... So my research is all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's good. There's at least there's some secrets. Not everything's on the internet then, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were in New York for four years and then, um, you know, made a really group, good group of friends. We had a routine, but um, I think ultimately we, we wanted to challenge ourselves and go somewhere where we could step out of the comfort zone. And that's when we went to Japan and when we moved right. to Tokyo um, and so you know we New York to Tokyo right what know, age were you with geez that was 2005 28 yeah I think 27 28 I want to say uh-huh. yeah 28 let's say 28 um, why not uh, but yeah it was a it was it was such a like dramatic change the, it was such a huge cultural kind of shift Right. Um, and we, you know, made a completely insane and irrational decision in like leaving both of our jobs to return to freelance and, n- you know, didn't know Japanese, didn't know anybody who lived in Japan. Right. And then we're like, let's go to Tokyo and see what happens. Um, I don't think logic was there that day. It might've been sick. It might've just been. But what was the gut feeling that you want to go to Tokyo? Like, um, Why did we choose Tokyo? I think that for the longest time, we had always been really infatuated with Tokyo. We, we traveled there. And I think the other reason is New York. We, we knew what our lives would be like if we had stayed there. Not to say that 
it was bad. We were really comfortable there. But I think that the complacency made us uncomfortable. The, mm. the fact that we were in a routine made us uncomfortable. Right. And so we really wanted to challenge ourselves with a new place, with a language barrier as well, because we also wanted to challenge ourselves by learning a language. Sure, why not? Why not try and learn one of the most complicated languages in the world? Of course. <laughs> with a complicated script. Of course. No, I mean, three different alphabets, of course. Who, <laughs> yeah, what's, what uh, sounds easy, easy. Um, but Tokyo, I think for a variety of reasons, uh, incredible creative scene, uh, delicious food, uh, it's proximity to Australia as well. It's a direct oh, yeah. flight. But I think that it, it, above all, it was, it was um, it sounds really morbid, but it was very much this kind of self-inflicted, like uh, stepping out of your comfort zone and forcing you to feel uncomfortable to see what the reaction would be, to see how we would respond. And it was incredible because every day was an adventure. Um, catching the train was an adventure. Buying a right. ticket was an adventure. Opening a bank account was oh. was a oh. was not an adventure. It was more of a, a task. But you know, every time I went to pay rent was an adventure. Um, we kicked ourselves out of a, a comfortable situation where people knew who we were, and we could have gotten a, you know work relatively well, not easily, but I think that our chances were far higher than a country where we didn't speak the language or know anybody. Um, and I think for the first couple of months, uh, we both were just looking at ourselves going, have we made the wrong decision? Because, um, you know, I remember quite vividly, I would get emails uh, for the first couple of months while we were living in Tokyo saying, hey, like I got a project for you. Can you come in? Uh, can you come into the studio? And this was like a, you know, an agency in New York inviting me in to do a project and I was like I don't live there anymore <laughs> and you know that would happen a, you know a couple of times right. a month for the first three months and sure that if anything's gonna make you question your decisions that's <laughs> it especially when you first arrive somewhere yeah. um, and don't know the language or anybody there and feel completely isolated but I think that I think that one of the the kind of most fascinating things about that experience is like especially learning a language like that from scratch and when you get something when you finally understand something it's like you're putting together this enormous puzzle where you don't know where the edges are you don't know where it starts or begins but you have two pieces that all of a sudden connect right and that was just i, I every time uh, like we, we we started to put you know elements of this this bigger picture together it was so satisfying we felt like we had accomplished something um it's also, really for, it's also great for plasticity of brain and that keeps your creative connections in the brain. Yeah, it was, right. I mean, look, I, I think that I wouldn't trade it for the world. It sounds like a torturous experience, but we, I think, you know, that's also a, a place where Ash and I got closer to each other than we'd ever been because all we had was each other, you know, and... It's also where we learnt the most about. It's also where we learnt the most about um, ourselves, you know, because we became so isolated and so reclusive and insular because we were these these foreigners in this in this land and didn't want to do anything wrong to upset anybody as well because you know Japanese tradition is so kind of um, yeah, courteous, exactly, so accommodating, so polite, and so, yeah, I think. Um, we learned so much more about ourselves, uh, I think, from that experience. 
you know, in the same way that, you know, falling sick for me uh, was a you know, really profound experience. I think that we both learned, I think, what, we, what we're capable of. And I think the kind of um, extremities of our resilience or, or rather the yeah, boundaries of our yeah. resilience or like our patience even and yeah. really like testing it to see <laughs> how far does this need to go. And you know what? Some days we'd come home and go, what the hell did we do? And other days, and most other days, but I think that's, that's, that was the thing. Most other days we'd come home and say, you know, you'll never guess what I ate or what I saw today or what I did today or this thing. And um, I think it was that, that cultural kind of shock, that culture shock, that culture gap that made everything that was different about Japan so much more apparent, you know, from anywhere else we'd ever lived. And that's why um, it was such a beneficial experience. And Japan, Tokyo especially, might have given you a lot of substance for your work as well. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's a very colorful city. It's very busy. It's very... Well, I think, I, yeah, I agree there um, at the end of the colors and, uh, and so on. But I think that, um, you know, at the time I was really exploring this idea of stripping my work back. So... Okay. And Japan is famous for that you know strip yeah, like stripping things that stripping things back to their purest form where where you celebrate the beauty of of kind wabi-sabi of, of wabi-sabi exactly um you celebrate the beauty of a single ingredient because it's been loved and looked after right um right, right. uh you know that 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 had a really big effect on my work and i think everywhere we go to um it feeds into your work whether it's conscious or not, it's it, you just become a part of the web, right. and um, and I think you know as a visual artist, you just begin you respond. You know, it's it's like what we were taught, mm. or at least what I remember being taught in English class is you know write about write about what you know. And for me, it was drawing what I saw. You know, and that was it was as simple as that. And because things were so different, um, those are the things that stuck out, and those are the things that I would draw. And then you moved to Amsterdam. And so, yeah, after two yeah. years in, in Tokyo, and uh, we decided to move to Amsterdam, and we've been there for a year. And now um, you have your own studio? Uh, I, so I work in a, in a shared space with, a, with other illustrators and uh, artists and animators. Um, and I think that's one thing I didn't really get to do much in Tokyo um, you know, for a while I shared a studio with a, an incredible artist and a really good friend. Um, but uh, I think later on, you know, I, I wanted to get like a, he kind of moved away and I wanted to get, uh, you know, like a, a shared studio space. And, you know, my idea of a shared studio space was, you know, a small group of desks um, in, a, in a cool, interesting, minimal environment. But... Um, I think Japan at the time at least was still kind of going through this hot desking phase and this idea of like a creative shared desk studio wasn't right. really there. So I worked in a space, but my desk wasn't a desk. It was a cubicle. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that didn't necessarily like facilitate the most creative environment. Don't get me wrong. It was a beautiful space, but I think that was one of um, the nicest things about moving to Amsterdam is is I felt like the, you know, I felt, I felt like it was a familiar place again. Not that I had anything against Tokyo. I just felt like there were certain aspects of my work that I really um, 
valued and one of them was being in a shared studio with other creatives who I could swivel around and say, hey, have you got a second? Can you give me your opinion on this? And and I wasn't able to, and I think it was a combination of, you know, the the kind of workspace, but also right. the kind of language barrier that I experienced in Japan. Um, and that's interesting mm. that you moved from New York to Japan to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And these three cities have a cultural heritage of design, like Amsterdam, the Dutch designers. I mean, we can have probably multiple episodes just talking about their work. Yeah, I think uh, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to go there was because we knew that it was such a creative hub and it was a place that, you know, so many people in Europe kind of transcend, uh, kind of descend upon to, to, to work uh, together. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, the Dutch design aesthetic is so dramatically different to Japan. That's and, true. and um, you know, my whole approach is that you, your work or your style or aesthetic is, is, is a reflection of yourself and also, your, you know, your culture and your upbringing and so on. And I think that, of course, you know, because with any different culture, there's going to be different aesthetics that kind of reflect. Um, but not just that, I think it was also just, um, it was the first time that I'd really started to appreciate fine art more than ever. You know, I've always been more interested in modern art, but, um, you know, the Rakes Museum is a, an incredible uh, kind of archive of, of beautiful, like, fine art. And I've, you know, I've been there a lot because we've had a lot of visitors and and every time i go it's it's never a chore it's always such a pleasure to go there and i think having that incredible like archive this archive that's so big mm -hmm. but in a city that's less than a million people and accessible by bike or by foot is mm -hmm. is such a like luxury it's that such a so i feel really really spoiled and i think if anything it's spoiled us for the rest of for any other cities because because now it's it used you can't to be, go to new york now right how about new delhi new delhi i mean why not ash would love to go there i don't know i th i think that i think that sometimes i get uh frustrated or impatient in in india and it really tests me like no place <laughs> ever does anywhere else but i actually like on this trip you know we were in delhi before we came here and i i liked it you know i liked it a lot yeah, it has very interesting vibe and uh, like interesting. I choose my word <laughs> specifically. Is there a bit of competition? Are you are you based in Mumbai? Is that where you're no, based? No, you're... not really. I have worked in Delhi for three years. Okay. And I keep traveling for the podcast and otherwise sure. for the work. But yeah, I like Bombay also. I like Delhi also, but I don't know. Hmm. I don't have any bias. I know Bombay Delhi divide is crazy. Okay. I think that's I think that's what strikes me the most is every time I come to India, I forget. That it's a world in itself. You yeah. Know? I think I, you know, there's a billion people here, but uh, I forget uh, how much of a kind of I don't know if microcosm is even the right word because it's a micro, a billion person microcosm, but it is kind of a contained world within itself that you know has uh, so many branches of you know, culture and religion culture, and religion, language ideas. and and. Ultimately, Lifestyle. Like, most importantly, cuisine. Do you plan to travel around? Uh, so we'll be going back to Delhi after this trip. Um, and I'm going to spend... Uh, so we only spent a night there on the way here. But we're spending a week there with my grandma and my aunt's oh, also yeah. visiting. So 
that's gonna be really fun we're gonna yeah, be doing so, so nice full punjabi family well yeah i mean it's gonna be a little hectic because we're actually doing a bit you're of gonna have a lot of fun well, we could, she's been she's been to India before, oh, yeah. so she's done she's done a lot. Yeah. But uh, we're going to be doing wedding. Did they feed shopping. you? Did they feed you a lot of uh, food with ghee? I am never hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. And uh, that must be hard uh, being in a Punjabi family introducing her and not at all. Not hungry. No. It, oh, <laughs> the hun- the food thing. Yeah, yeah food that's thing. that's because if she's not hungry, then you know Punjab is gonna. Not I think like it. yeah, she's she's yeah. Ash has been so receptive though. She's been really sweet, and I think at the same time, I I hope my family has also been equally receptive because I think the hardest, well, not the hardest thing, but also the kind of the thing that I struggle to explain the most is is that. Um, Actually, it's not a struggle to explain. It's fairly simple. It's that we show love through food, and if you don't, uh, if you don't eat the food, mm-hmm. then you know, then it's like, what? You don't like my food? Yeah. What? You don't like me? What? Like it is. Like, like, yeah. And it's exactly. like it's like a, it's offensive. If you like, you want to upset a Punjabi, just tell them. You know, yeah, I didn't like you. Can't can't eat it right now. I'm not hungry. Yes, I'm, I'm not hungry. That's yeah. Don't do that. Poor Ash. <laughs> Poor Ash, she learned that the hard way. She did say, it. and she was the thing is, you know, if even if you're genuinely not hungry, you're not allowed to say. It. Yeah, you're not allowed to not be hungry. No, and I think that that is actually a really interesting parallel with Japan there, because in Japan we would never ever leave food on a plate. I think it's a good rule to follow. It's like you know you shouldn't yeah. be wasteful. And, and I, think, I think Indians do a lot, right, of wastage. Mm. Punjabi weddings. Oh God. We're not having one of we're not having one of those Punjabi weddings. Actually, we're having a far more modest one. Is that right, Ash? Yes. We're getting married in December. Do you want to have Punjabi wedding full on? No. Like Karan, do it, man. No, I think we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Riding a horse. No, I think we're good. Oh God, no. And uh, there will be there will be there will be uh, songs by song by this guy. Tare gin gin ya. Are you? I thought you were going to say Jazzy B for a second there. No, I don't know Jazzy why. Oh, you, you know Jazzy B. I don't know Jazzy B, but I know of you, Jazzy you, B. You, you I've been to exposed to Jazzy Apple B. Music. No, no, this is, this is years ago, years yeah. and years ago. But yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to your work. Okay. You've worked on a lot of projects, but which is your personal favorite book that you had fun making, you really are proud of? Mm. Uh, there's been a few, I think, like... The Nike project was fantastic. The Nike project that I did for the Winter Olympics. So I'd I'd actually done a a project uh, with Nike mid last year, and it was for the launch of uh, the the Vapor Max, which was their kind of you know revolutionary new sneaker that they just came out with. And so I created some assets to accompany that campaign. And I think it was a really really big campaign where they commissioned lots and lots of artists all over the world because it was such a momentous occasion where Nike's, you know, releasing this revolutionary new, revolutionary new shoe. Technology. Um, so it was a big deal for me. It was actually, you know, one of my first, like, real Nike projects as well. But um, what kind of brief did you get? Because the, uh, you have a specific style mm. and I think you own it as well because certain artists, like, say, we don't, I don't have a style. Right. I definitely say that, I, yeah, I do have a style. So, like, the brief for the... The, the, the Winter Olympics project was quite interesting because it was based off the back of the work that I created off the Vapor Max um, mm-hmm. stuff. They really liked the style that I had made that in. So it was um, 
flat color, but really, really dimensional. Um, there was a lot of pattern involved and the pattern itself was animated, which is kind of something that I really enjoyed doing quite a lot. Um, but I think what had gripped them the most was the, the color scheme. It was, you know, uh, vibrating colors like right. you know, blues with pinks and, 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 um, and reds. So I think the campaign that they had created, uh, or at least Nike, I think in collaboration with, I think it's Rosie Lee, which is the name of the, the ad agency who maybe made the, the branding deck for that campaign. So they'd come up with this idea that it was, uh, it, the campaign was called Impossible to Ignore. Mm -hmm. And the brand colors for it were blue and red, mm -hmm. obviously referencing the Korean flag, ah. but also the, the kind of referencing the vibration that happens when you put a bright red next to a blue, making it right. kind of hard to look away. And moreover, it feels like there's some pulsation out there. Yeah, I think that these colors are put together. Right. Uh, that's and that's why yeah, I think working with colors is is so so much fun. You know, because you think just like a simple shift will just change the change the weight or the tone of an artwork. Um, but no, that project in particular was really really fun because um, it was a challenge for me. I hadn't done anything of that nature or that level of complexity before. And so they approached me with a with a kind of intent, which is, you know, we want to create this high energy uh, animation, which kind of sees like a first person camera almost traveling through Seoul. Right. And, you know, at the time, the, 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 the most complex animation I had done prior to that was the Vapormax illustration, which was just fairly abstract and more kind of, you know, uh, it was less kind of literal, um, but they were kind of requesting you know, people running around and, and people playing sports and, and um, kind of uh, literal street scenes of, of Seoul. And I was like, how, how am I going to do this? But at the same time, I think that I knew that there was a way that I could do it. I think it was just overcoming that kind of technical barrier to, to take it on. And so you learned on. a new skill. I did. And, and I think that furthermore, I think that the, the creative team at Nike were really, really receptive to my ideas. And I think that also helps you know i think there was we had a relationship which i feel was mutually respectful and and i think you know sometimes it's really just nice to let people go off and do their thing and they were really really happy for me to do that um so it was kind of like a dream project where i spent you know two to three weeks working on this complex animation which looks nothing well there's nothing as complicated than that in the rest of my work Right, right. And so I know how a brand identity is sold or how do we pitch the idea of brand new brand identity and rebrand or something like that. How do you sell illustration idea or the final product mm. to the client from the brief? I think, what kind of stages do you go through? Uh, I think it depends on the nature of the deliverable. Like what is the final result? What are they expecting? But I think that um, it's twofold, you know, it comes... You show a sketch of an idea? Sure, but I think even before that, um, you always have a kickoff call or you always have a briefing document from the commissioning agency or the, the brand or whoever who outlines what the goal of the project is and that's going to help you create your first round of sketches. Um, so usually a structure that um, I work towards is, is uh, three, generally speaking, three rounds um, but obviously that varies when it comes to animation, you know, where it's a little bit more involved than just like, here's round one. Um, but yeah, you iterate far more when it comes to, when it comes to animation. So in this project in particular, um, 
because the animation was so much more involved, we had to, or rather I had to storyboard um, the entire animation and get the concept sold in before I even obviously started. But even before I started the sketches, they told me what the brief is. They told me there are certain sports that they needed to highlight. They told me there were certain products that they needed to highlight. And as a result, you create this shopping list of things that you need to check off right. um, or you need to include. And then you start to create um, a creative interpretation or a, you know, a creative interpretation of this, this visual response whilst um, seamlessly trying to incorporate all of these things that they want to do. Sometimes and it's really, your own really. Style. Sorry. And also your own style. That's right. So uh, you know, because they had come to me off the back of that uh, Vapormax project, which was already in my style, they said, you know, we want it in your style. And I'm, I'm really, really lucky um, in that now. You know, people do approach me because of my style. And you know, in the occasion that someone might ask me to do someone else's, I'll probably just pass on it or recommend they yes. go actually commission the artist whose style it is, you know, rather than getting someone else to emulate it. Are you experimenting with some new styles? Yeah, uh, I think that things. I'd like to think that all my styles live under one roof and, and they're kind of just different iterations of a style. They're different kind of adaptations of it because I'm so kind of impatient that I need to be able to evolve and but I think ultimately um, there's a few core elements and that's, you know, firstly is pattern that, that kind of plays such a distinct and significant role. But um, lately I've been, you know, focusing on making my own distinct patterns rather than simply just using um, you know, the generic ones that I've always been using. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in like more portraiture now, like getting into more portraiture because um, it's something that, I don't know, has always evaded me and... Um, uh, I got, uh, I just got an iPad Pro, which has just completely changed how I work and I want to be able to draw a little bit more. So I think portraiture has, has actually been really interesting. It sounds so like middle of the road, but, <laughs> but, but it is, but that's exactly it. I think that's, that in itself is, is like exemplifies my road to where I am now because I, I do things in the most backwards way. I think, you know, people first getting into illustration probably just did portraiture of it. Uh, it's something that I've, you know, dabbled with, but always been so much more drawn to um, abstraction and geometry. Uh, I just saw your socks and there's <laughs> name on your socks. Yeah. So I, <laughs> this is, uh, these are, these are cool. It's, it's like a black and white, like zebra stripe sort. And there's, it says current. So uh, the idea was the with, with these. Um, so this is a collaboration with um, uh, Lookmate, uh, who are a, a sock company in London. Mm -hmm. And so they invited me to make uh, a design. And uh, the concept for this, uh, so the, the, the sock, the, the design's called two for one. And the idea is it has, so when you view it from this angle, uh -huh. the perspective reveals one design. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at it from this perspective, it's the, the spotty design. Oh, so, nice. so from either angle, the idea is that it looks different. So two and people can buy this one? Yeah, it's available online right now. It came out, I think, last week. So That sounds um, amazing. I'll leave the note on my podcast. Oh, thank you. Podcast yeah, I appreciate I'll it. add a link. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I didn't know my name would be as big 
on this sock. It's right there. So, so right. Uh, I hope every like I hope if you order, you're comfortable walking on my name. We'll just turn it inside out. They're comfy socks, I promise. They're really, really good. Um, Even like, damn, we both like yeah, wearing patterns. Sock game, sock what? game on, on fleek today. This is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so what's next? What, what are you planning to, uh, what kind of work are you planning? And in fact, you both, are you planning to incorporate a studio and call it something? No, I think uh, we're just it. trying to incorporate our relationship and get married in December. Uh, in, marriage Incorporated. Um, that's actually the biggest thing. Uh, weddings are hard, man. I've worked on some big projects, but this is insane. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I think we both underestimated, or maybe it was more me than us, how complicated a wedding actually is. Poor naive Karan. No, no, it's going to be, it's, it's really fun. I think what we're both actually most excited about, I, I think we've actually been on the road for the past couple of months and, mm-hmm. you know, we've both been really, really busy with work. So we're excited to actually spend some time together and, and plan our wedding. But also um, it's, it's the first, like we're going to be going back to Australia as well at the end of the year and, you know, we get to spend time with our family together as well um, and also my nanny's coming to Australia for the wedding so that's going to be really really cool um, but work-wise I think I'm I think I'm going through a phase where I'd really like to experiment a little bit more because um, I've just finished up a couple of larger projects mm-hmm. um, and I think at the end of that you always want to try the things that you uh, left on the kind of cutting room floor um, when you kind of were first sketching so that's something that I'd really like to explore more. That and um, I just got this new iPhone and I'm really excited to give the, the augmented reality a oh, yeah, shot. Yeah, that so. would be very interesting if you make something with your art and augmented yeah. reality. So I've, I've Are you friends with Zach Lieberman? I'm, yeah, I'm such a fan of his work. Um, and I also, Zach, if you're listening, please call me. Yeah. Uh, us. No, let me call you, Zach. I'll call you. Please let me. Please send me your number, Zach, and I'll call you. Big fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was really lucky in that I got to work on a, a augmented reality project last year, and it was um, you know for the Sugar Mountain Festival, which is a, a music festival that happens in Melbourne every year. And uh, I got to design a stage, but we used the stage as basically the augmented reality trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I'd love to explore it more with this kind of, you know, that was using an application, but I'm really curious to see how it works with, um, you know, this AR kit. And yeah, I think it's, 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 it's kind of, I'm always looking for new ways to evolve the kind of context my work is viewed in. And I think that maybe this is like my my degree which i thought at the time was you're going to put yourself in another challenge now well i think that it's it's my my design degree that i didn't really embrace kind Hmm. of coming back and saying actually you are a little bit interested because that was you know a lot to do with Hmm. um immersive interaction design and spatial design and interaction installations and so on um so that's i'm actually really excited about that i tried some things last year um but yeah, I think that's what I'm kind of most excited about is I, I always get kind of excited about technology and how I can merge that with my work. Or at least not just that, but also how I can take my work off just a, a screen and into a different environment for people to inter- interact with it in a, in a different way. Karan, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. And it is almost 10.30 p.m. Bloody hell. I, is the kitchen closed? Um, if it is, I'm going to be upset.
for listening to this podcast if you find conversations like this valuable and want to help me bring you more content like this there are many ways you can support this podcast you can leave a review on the platform you're listening to this podcast on you can tell a friend about it or you can also share this podcast on social media you can also extend a financial support to know more about that visit designthisway.com Please know that I really appreciate your support and uh, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestion, feel free to get in touch with me on social media or email. You can get my email and social media links uh, on my website www.kaval.co. In my next episode, I have another interesting guest for you. So, see you soon.